You're listening to The Firsts, The Forerunners of Islam, the series that visits those distinguished as leaders of humanity, not only in history, but in the ranks of the next world. Dive into the stories of the giants who were the first of their kind as they rose to the occasion and became preserved inspirations for generations to come. With your host, Sheikh Dr. Omar Salaman, let's meet the firsts. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, everyone. Welcome back to the first shorts. I hope that the night ta'ala that you are benefiting from this new series uh, that we are doing, which of course keeps us within the domain of the companions of the Prophet. And as you're learning about new companions in the capacity of the angels, uh, inshallah ta'ala, in this situation as well, we'll continue to explore the names of some of these people who were early on in Islam, great contributors to Islam, but we don't know much about. So I've been asked so many times, when are we going to talk about Khalid radiallahu ta'ala anhu? And of course, that means Khalid ibn al-Walid radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And he deserves a, a huge lesson, right? We're going to definitely elaborate on the life of Khalid ibn al-Walid radiallahu anhu, but that's probably going to be much later on in the series if Allah gives us life, because Khalid ibn al-Walid, of course, embraced Islam much later on in Islam. But we're talking about the early Muslims right now. And there is another Khalid. And what if I told you that this Khalid, Khalid ibn Sa'id ibn al-As, is said to have embraced Islam within a few hours of Abu Bakr al-Siddiq radiallahu anhu. That's as early as it comes. But I'm going to talk about this story, inshallah ta'ala, because it truly is a fascinating story when we talk about how early he is. So Khalid ibn Sa'id ibn al-As is not one of the du'afa of Mecca. He's not one of the weak ones of Mecca. In fact, he's from Banu Umayyah. So he's from a very powerful tribe in Mecca. Now, he doesn't seem to be someone, though he has a prominent lineage and someone who has you know, wealth and position, he doesn't seem to be someone who assumed any political role in Mecca. But at the same time, again, just being from Banu Umayyah, being a son of Sa'id ibn al-As is a big deal. And we, what we find from him is that Khalid ibn Sa'id radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he had a nickname of the Taj, the possessor of the crown. And that was because he, when he wore a imama, when he wore his turban in a certain style or a certain color, no one else would dare to wear the same turban as him. So he wore a unique turban. And when he would change that turban, other people would start to wear it, but you didn't wear the same turban as him. So he was distinguished even in his turban, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, to where you called him, the Taj, the possessor of the crown. Now his coming to Islam, so beautiful. He sees a dream of himself. And this is before he has heard that the Prophet ﷺ is even calling to this religion. But this is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala showing something to him. He sees this dream and he says, in this dream, I was standing in front of a valley full of fire. And that fire was consuming itself because of how severe, how hot it was. So he's seeing a valley of hellfire. He was terrified by that fire. Suddenly he says, while well, I'm looking at that valley of fire, I see my father behind me, Sa'id ibn al-As, and he comes to me and he tries to push me into it. And when I resist, he literally starts to wrestle with me and he tries to throw me into that fire. And so he says, as I'm in the dream, fighting off my father's effort to throw me into the fire, the Prophet ﷺ comes to me and the Prophet ﷺ grabs me by the waist belt. 
and he pulls me away from the fire, sallallahu alaihi wasallam. And then I woke up. So subhanAllah, I mean, there's of course great symbolism in this, but also the fact that the Prophet described this as an analogy, a parable of himself. He says, I to you, I'm like a man that is standing in front of a fire and there are fireflies that are trying to jump into the fire. And the Prophet said, I'm trying to grab you all and stop you from falling into it. And I'm grabbing you by the waist belts, but some of you are slipping from my hands. So in the case of Sa'id, uh, Khalid bin Sa'id bin As, he's literally seeing that dream where the Prophet pulls him by the waist belt and saves him from falling into the fire. So when he wakes up from that dream, he leaves his house. He knows Muhammad ibn Abdullah sallallahu alayhi wa but he hasn't even heard of a new religion. And as he is coming out of his home, he runs into Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And he says to Abu Bakr, because Abu Bakr was known for his ability to interpret dreams, amongst other things, interpretation of dreams and his knowledge of lineage and ancestry. He says to Abu Bakr, he said, I, I saw this strange dream last night. Let me run it by you. So Abu Bakr anhu says, what is it? So he said, I saw this dream where I was standing in front of a valley of fire and I was about to fall into the fire. My father was behind me trying to push me into the fire. And then Muhammad ibn Abdullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he came to me and he grabbed me by the waist belt and he pulled me away from the fire. So Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he smiles and he says, Wallahi ya Khalid, laqad arad Allahu bika khair. He said, I swear by Allah, O Khalid, Allah wants good for you. So he says to him, this is Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He is calling to the worship of one God and protecting us in the process from the punishment of the hereafter. So Khalid says, take me to him. Khalid says, Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu took him to him uh, and the Prophet sallallahu was in ajyad and he was supplicating to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He was worshiping Allah. So he found him in a place of making dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So he said, I said to him, what are you calling to, O Muhammad? Tell me about this religion that you are calling to. So he said he started to tell him about uh, you know, the religion that the Prophet explained to him that I'm calling you to the worship of one God and to abandon Allah, all of these idols, these stones that do not benefit you, nor do you benefit them, nor can they do anything to the one who worships them or to the one who abandons them. So I'm calling you to the worship of one God. And Khalid radiallahu anhu at that moment embraces Islam. Some of the scholars of, of, of Sirah, some of the narrations say that was within hours of Abu Bakr making him khamisu khamsa fil Islam, the fifth of five in Islam. So after Ali and Abu Bakr, after Khadija, Abu Bakr, Ali, may Allah be pleased with them, that he is the very next person to embrace Islam, but that his Islam was on the same day of Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu ta'ala anhu. I mean, that is incredible, right? I mean, how early on and how blessed is he to have seen that dream that night and what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted for him as a result of that. So he embraced Islam right away radiallahu anhu. And as we said, you know, we're talking about some of these companions, who was first, you have this group of people that you could all make a claim, right? You know, to who's the fourth, who's the fifth at this point. But uh, that's how early he is, radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Now his father, of course, uh, you can derive from the dream that he had, was not a very good man and was someone that was indeed trying to call him to the hellfire. His father was one of the people that used to work in the construction of the idols and the, the festivals and the pilgrimages and uh, the sacrifices to the idols. And of course, politically held a very high place with Ben Umayyah as well. 
So his father immediately, when he heard about the Prophet ﷺ calling to Islam, he immediately became a staunch enemy of the Prophet ﷺ. Banu Hashim, Banu Umayyah. I mean, that's that says it all. So when he heard the news that the Prophet ﷺ was calling to Islam, he immediately wanted to fight the Prophet ﷺ and stop him from going any further, as was the case with Banu Umayyah. Now, as he is declaring his enmity, he hears from uh, from some of his other children that they heard that the Prophet ﷺ had reached his own son Khalid. So what does he do? He sends his other two sons, okay, uh, to go and to get him and to bring Khalid to him. So his other two sons, whose names are Amr and Aban, Amr and Aban. So Amr and Aban go to get Khalid and bring him to his father. Khalid is brought to him and he says to him, is it true what I've heard? And he said, it's true. He said, I've embraced the religion of the one God and I've abandoned these idols that you call us to worship. And he said to him, you will leave this religion now and come back to the religion of your father and your forefathers. Khalid insisted that he would not. He said that I will not obey you in the disobedience of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So when he said that, Saeed took a stick and he cracked his skull. He, he hit him right across the head and he cracked his skull. And so the blood came running down and he ordered Khalid to be imprisoned and to be starved for three days. So Khalid is taken to a particular uh, you know, corner or chamber in the home and uh, he's guarded and no food reaches him for three days uh, while he's in that situation. And then he sends a messenger to see if he changed his mind hoping that he broke under those circumstances because he'd never seen anything like that, right? I mean, this is a man who lived a very privileged life, so he'd never seen that type of persecution. So usually someone that had a relatively easy life or privileged life would crack quicker under persecution. Instead, when he sends his messenger to him, he said, Wallahi, I will not follow him in the disobedience of Allah. And here's where this gets even more interesting. He sends, Sa'id ibn al-As sends Amr and Aban to convince him uh, to leave his religion, what ends up happening instead is that Amr and Aban become Muslim So now Khalid converts his brothers as well. So Khalid, Amr and Aban are amongst the early Muslims in this regard. But of course, Khalid preceded all of them in Islam. Uh, when the migration to Abyssinia takes place, Khalid uh, has to escape persecution. Of course, as we said, the persecution of some of the privileged and the elite was behind closed doors, but of course it still was severe for some of them. So Khalid was one of those who was under severe persecution by his father and by Banu Umayyah in general. So he takes his brothers and he goes to Abyssinia and that is where he is going to settle until the Prophet ﷺ gives him permission to come to Medina. Now, what role does he play in Abyssinia? And again, sometimes these names come up and you don't even think twice about them. When the Prophet ﷺ proposed to Umm Habiba the daughter of Abu Sufyan who was in Abyssinia and her husband had passed away. And we've talked about Umm Habiba in detail. Remember the Prophet ﷺ chose a Najashi to represent him. So Najashi is going to conduct this nikah of the Prophet ﷺ in Abyssinia while the Prophet ﷺ is absent and a Najashi is his representative, right? Officially his representative in this wedding. And he says to Umm Habiba to choose a wali, okay? Her father, of course, was Abu Sufyan. And so her wali 
would be the closest uh, the, the closest relative, and that was Khalid ibn Sa'id ibn al-As. Why? Because of course, uh, the same tribe and the closest relative. And of course, Khalid was known for his righteousness, radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And that is when al-Najashi holds this nikah, this wedding uh, in his palace. He dismisses all of his guards. He sets up these beautiful gardens, you know, uh, th- this beautiful feast, this meal. And he gathers Ja'far radiallahu ta'ala anhu, Abdullah ibn Hudhafa radiallahu anhu, we've already spoken about, and Khalid ibn Sa'id radiallahu ta'ala anhu, and he conducts this nikah with Umm Habiba radiallahu anha, and he is the one who proposes on behalf of the Prophet sallallahu and this man Khalid ibn Sa'id radiallahu anhu responds by praising Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and sending salawat, and he says, I have married to you Umm Habiba, uh, I have married Umm Habiba to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, in accordance with what was said. So Khalid said, Fabarakallahu li Rasulillah. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless Rasulullah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, or, or he congratulates Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in that regard. And then Najashi radiallahu ta'ala anhu brings out the feast as he says, it is the sunnah of the prophets of Allah that when a marriage is carried out, that there is a walima, that there's a feast as well. So this was Khalid's role in Abyssinia as well. Now, when does he come to Medina? Khalid comes to uh, Medina after Khaybar, after Khaybar. So the Prophet Sallallahu was, you know, when he, when he sees Khalid, he was so happy to see him that he embraces him and he puts Khalid radiallahu ta'ala anhu in charge of Yemen. So this would, he would also go on to become a governor of Yemen and he puts Aban, his brother, in charge of what would become Bahrain and Amr in charge of Khaybar. So actually Khalid and his brothers all become uh, leaders under the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And when the Prophet Sallallahu passes away, Khalid radiallahu ta'ala anhu serves as a commander under Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu ta'ala anhu, who of course was the one who initially called him to Islam within hours of embracing it himself. And he was commanded, uh, he, was, he was appointed particularly as a commander in the campaign against the Byzantines. And in the year 634, uh, he was married to Umm Hakim, uh, Umm Hakim bint al-Harith ibn Mughira. Umm Hakim was the widow of Ikram ibn Abi Jahl, radiallahu ta'ala anhu. So Umm Hakim radiallahu anha uh, was his widow and she became Muslim, uh, of course, in the Fath, in the conquest of Mecca. And right before this battle, which was known as Marja Sufar, she marries Khalid ibn Sa'id ibn Nas. Okay, so it was literally the night before this battle of Marja Sufar that they got married. And it was in this battle that Umm Hakim actually, with her own hand, would pick up a sword and she would kill seven from the opposing army herself the day after her wedding night, okay, to Khalid ibn Sa'id. But her husband, Khalid ibn Sa'id, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, would pass away on this day and he would be a shaheed and this particular battle, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be pleased with him. So subhanAllah, he goes from seeing this dream of the Prophet and his father, getting an interpreter by Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu, living this glorious life alongside the Messenger وسلم, up until he serves under Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu anhu and is martyred in the process and in the process attains eternal life as the shuhada do. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be pleased with him and reward him for his sacrifices 
May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be pleased with the companions, all of the companions and the family of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Allahumma ameen. Jazakumullahu khayran. Inshallah ta'ala, I will see you next time. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. This podcast was brought to you by Yaqeen Institute for Islamic Research, dismantling doubts and nurturing conviction, one truth at a time. Tune in every week for the next episode and don't forget to subscribe to this channel and share with friends. Until next time, this has been The Firsts, The Forerunners of Islam.